0: DBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info.
1: Glad to have all of you with us for Political Rewind uh, today. I'm Bill Nygut. I hope you all had a good weekend uh easter many people celebrating the end of passover uh for uh, a number of our listeners out there so a, a beautiful spring weekend uh here in the state of georgia i i want to apologize in advance we're having some technical problems with my connection and so I'm talking to you all on the telephone, and I realize the audio quality isn't what we're used to here, but um, I hope you'll bear with me, and we're doing our best to see if we can fix whatever the issue is. Um, we're going to talk a lot today, of course, about the latest news in the election law that has stirred up so much controversy here across the state of Georgia and, and also nationally. Um, it's Let's face it this is a really t- hard uh uh issue to talk about as respectfully as we always try to do on political rewind feelings are very very hot on both sides of the issue but uh today with the panel that we're uh, put we put together for the show we are going to do our best to walk through the controversy and uh, talk about what's happening as of today. With that in mind, let me introduce our panel. Um, of course, it's Monday, which means that Jim Galloway, the former political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is uh, with us. Hi, Jim. How are you?
2: I'm doing great. I had a wonderful weekend. Like you said, the weather was wonderful. We've got family together again, so uh, so all things were good.
1: Good. I'm very glad to hear that. Um, we're joined also uh, today by um, your former colleague at the AJC, uh, Maya Prabhu, who covered the Senate and has been doing. How many years now have you been covering the state Senate, Maya?
0: Three and a half. So this is my fourth session.
1: So you're a real veteran and um, you, sure. you, can, you you can you uh, can give us some really interesting insights about what went down in the state Senate as this election law was uh, debated and speaking Of the state senate. We're joined by Macon state senator John Kennedy, a Republican down there. How are things in Macon today, Senator? Uh, Good morning, Bill. Thanks. It's a beautiful morning in
3: Macon. Everything is good, uh, and it's awfully nice to be home after having been in
1: the legislature for the last three months. So it's nice (laughs) to be home. I'm sure that's true. You know, somebody um, let me introduce and then I'll make the comment I was going to our uh, final panelist, Representative B. Gwynn of Atlanta, Democrat from Atlanta. B, thank you for being here today.
4: Good morning, Bill. I just actually got back from Ellijay and Blue Ridge, which is Republican territory, and had some delicious, uh <laughs> delicious North Georgia trout. Oh all right.
1: Um what I was starting to say, but but I want to include you in this as well, um a number of uh analysts have pointed out that it isn't just that you all, both in the Senate and the House, had a had a long and uh and and very trying session given some of the issues that were on the table. It's that you've been going at this really for more than a year. Go all the way back to the session of 2020, which was interrupted by COVID. You came back into session, went right to an election, came out of the election to the runoffs, and then the 2021 session. So, B and John, you're really finally getting a chance, maybe, to take a little break. Is that is that fair to say, John? Uh,
3: yes, Bill, it is. Uh, you're, you're right, 2020 was the year that wouldn't end. Um, and uh, we're glad it's in the rearview mirror for many reasons, not just po- uh, political and, and otherwise. Um, and so you're, you're right. A lot of the uh, issues and topics of discussion that uh, we ended up with in 2020 led us into 2021 and the issues that we have dealt with while we've been in session uh, for the last three months. So you're right. It, it feels like it's been about a year and a half uh, continuous uh, legislative session,
1: almost. Yeah, right. um, let's turn and talk a bit about the latest and what's happening with the election law. Um, the, we, we know that, uh, of course, Major League Baseball on Friday uh, uh, took a drastic step by pulling the All-Star game out of Atlanta. Governor Kemp had a quick and harsh reaction uh, to that, as did, many Republicans, and even some Democrats as well. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But, Jim Galloway, I want to start by reading just a paragraph from a piece that Politico put up on its website yesterday uh, because I think it tells us a lot about where Georgia stands in the national political dialogue right now. Here's what they say. The clash over Senate Bill 202, which is that big, sprawling election bill, is thrusting Georgia back into the national spotlight after a tumultuous year. Mont Arbory, a black man, was killed by white vigilantes. Rayshard Brooks, another black man, shot to death by police. Former President Donald Trump pressured local officials, election officials, to overturn his loss here. Then there was the March shooting, March shooting tar- targeting Asian Americans. And less than two weeks ago, the arrest of a black state legislator, protesting the new law under the gold dome of georgia's capital the fight over the future of elections in georgia and some say the soul of the nation is playing out on multiple fronts materializing is not only a political but also a legal battle a legislative and moral battle as well and now as businesses from coke to delta condemn, condemn the law and republicans threaten to retaliate by zapping their tax bait debate breaks it's become a corporate battle to Jim, that about stems up Georgia in the national spotlight,
2: right? You, you, it almost makes you long for the times when we were considered po- politically irrelevant, doesn't it? <laughs> I um, think there's, yeah, yeah. There, 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 if if I could start off the the discussion with just with a, with a few points here, number one. Uh, in in I think in 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 Governor Brian Kemp's Saturday uh, reaction, his uh, press conference, he, he pulled together a number of Republicans to to stand behind him. I think uh, I I think the the Major League Baseball has given him an issue that he can uh, that he can rally Republicans a, uh, around and, and kind of uh, uh, maybe maybe. Uh, uh, Dull the 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 effect of the schism between himself and 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 Trump supporters on the re, in the Republican base, but I, I will tell you what, and and I was I was I was talking to our, our our friend Michael Thurman about this over the weekend, and and to me it the most one of the mm-hmm. most interesting things about this development is that the uh, uh, Major League Baseball did what it did, despite. The 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 warnings from local Democrats, uh, not to go there, that you, I mean you had you had Lisa Cupid, the chairman of the of the chairwoman of the Cog County Commission, say she she didn't want to see a boycott of the game. Uh, 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 Terry Anulowitz, a member of the House, said the same thing. Stacy Abrams said the same thing, and nonetheless, Major League Baseball did what it did, and to me, it 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 tells you that that this issue of 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 uh, voter, uh, so-called voter security slash suppression, uh, is 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 a national issue. This this isn't this is not a state issue, uh, and you were seeing a national response uh, by by Major League Baseball. Uh, the other part of that is, I would say that I would, I would say that the one thing to remember about the All Star Game is yes it has the the home run derby and a lot of hoopla around it but it is strictly voluntary on the part of the players uh we we know we can cite instance after instance where a player was picked for the all-star <laughs> team and said oh no I can't go because I've got this in- injury I want to I want to rest up for for the week uh and so I I won't be attending you can see you can see that 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 the players union uh there there could have been a lot of pressure much pressure on on uh on african-american on hispanic players to to boycott this event and that would have been an extremely bad bad look on the on the part of the mlb
1: um all right let's you said a lot there and i want to unpack it and and go back a step or two to do that but i want to start with it with with a, a a more general idea here uh b one of the things i think has made it difficult for people, just observers out there, to understand how they feel about this law, is that, as as um, as a couple of anal- analysts have said in the last few days, this is a Rorschach test. I mean, one side, Republicans primarily, read the law and say, thank goodness we finally have some rules in place that are going to assure us of... Um, responsible, uh, trustworthy elections, whereas, of course, Democrats say that uh, there are so many aspects of this law which, in fact, will discourage voting among uh, typically Democratic groups, minority uh, groups. So, so B, uh, how do we unpack that? How do we even start off with a conversation in which the two sides are so diametrically opposed on what the law does?
4: Well, when you have a 98-page bill that was sort of rammed through the legislature, it is very hard for anybody to digest it, right? So one of the things about elections laws are they are extremely complicated. And on the face of this bill, one argument I've seen is, look, it expanded or codified things that weren't in law already. But the reality is the state emergency, the state board of elections was able to put into place rulings and procedures that expanded access to elections in 2020 and 2021. And codifying some of that language in the way in which it was codified is restrictive. And some of the arguments are, yes, it created uniformity. It added weekend voting for rural counties. But metro counties already had those weekend voting hours in place. And so there's some disingenuous, Arguments being made out there by the other side of the aisle that it does expand access to voting. But we know that it restricts it in terms of what we saw in 2020 and 2021. And especially for voters in metro counties. And then it creates a pretty few, a couple of dangerous precedences, including stripping the Secretary of State of his role, allowing the opening for the State Board of Elections to take over a four four counties at the same time. So if you target our four largest metro counties uh, and we have a state board election takeover, that's a pretty dangerous precedent. The state local election boards are responsible for setting early voting locations, early voting hours. They're responsible for placing drop boxes. They're responsible for certifying elections. And then something we saw in 2021 was those massive voter challenges by a third-party group where they tried to roll off voters using a faulty method that we've seen before. It it was along the lines of um, what the Trump lawsuit did, which was produce a list of voters names using a faulty method and suggesting that they had moved out of state or they had double voted, those types of things. And so this new law allows those challenges, and it's an unlimited number of challenges. And the local election boards decide whether they take up those those challenges or not. So that's rolling off voters. And the last thing I'll say is not counting provisional ballots out of precinct, that is enough to swing an election. If you look at the numbers in 2020, it was, I believe, 20,000 people who voted provisionally. And of those provisional ballots, 70% were Democratic voters because of precinct consolidations, because of confusion between early voting locations that were open on election day. Um, and so this still was really strategic and making sure it was chipping away at all the possibilities of reducing Democratic voters.
1: John Kennedy, I want to bring you in, obviously. I, let me ask you, though, the same question. Can you understand why each side sees uh, this new law as uh, achieving different goals? Or I mean, is, is, how do you convince your constituents that Republicans have, in fact, voted for election security, not voter suppression?
3: Well, well, Bill, I would answer that question first by asking everyone, not just Republican voters, but everyone to read the bill and become informed. Um, I, this has been a, uh, an incredible, seemingly coordinated effort uh, to create a false narrative about what SB202 does. Um, so much so that we've seen examples of the President of the United States making comments about the bill uh, and what it does that are just patently false, uh, even to the point that I think we saw the Washington Post give some of his comments, uh, what was it, four Pinocchios or whatever their grading system is uh, on, on making false statements. And it's a, it's a high, it seems to be a very highly coordinated effort, um, but... Uh, so to, to your question of how do we get folks to understand what's in it, I, I would encourage folks to, to read the bill, put it in context of where we were before 2020, look at what this bill does prospectively, and what does it do to secure elections going forward. To your question, Bill, d- do I understand how people can look at this and, as you approach it, have a different viewpoint. Yes, because we all look through things through the lens of our life experiences. I get that. But looking through that lens ought not to give you a distorted view of what the actual language of the bill is. And that seems to be what has been lost in this entire process. We hear comments being made, we hear things being said about what the bill does that's just simply not in there or or completely false. And so from that standpoint, I do find it difficult, but I also think that it's worth stating that there seems to be um, this this thought and approach to what we've tried to do. As you mentioned, Bill, you've got security almost on uh, in one respect, and then you've got access in another, and those are not mutually exclusive. I, I don't view those to be on a continuum, that the, that the more you're you're one, the less you're the other. And I think- while this bill may not be perfect, there's very few pieces of legislation that we pass are perfect. Uh, probably none are perfect. Um, but I think this is a good effort uh, to try to have a balanced approach uh, to to have additional security measures, but at the same time make sure that we've got access. Because the truth is we want everyone to vote. We want everyone who is eligible
1: to legally cast a vote to vote. Okay, so here look, we are not going to be able to take – each, each uh, uh, point in this law and, uh, and talk about it on the show today, obviously, because it is 98 pages long. Maya, let me bring you into the conversation. Let's just take a couple of points and talk about how B and, and John Kennedy have interpreted them. So here's an example. Um, this law, um, on one hand, it, is, it puts in law for the first time the fact that every county in Georgia will have drop boxes uh, to, in which uh, voters can put their absentee ballots. Republicans look at that and they say, look, we've never had a law that, that uh, legalized drop box in, it d- demanded uh, mandated drop boxes in every county. Democrats look at that and say, wait a minute. That law says that those drop boxes have to be inside advanced voting locations that they can only be accessed during the hours that the polls are open and that there has to be a security person standing by. The Democrats would argue, wait a second, why are drop boxes being treated differently than United States Postal Service mailboxes, for instance? It's That's one of those things that one – Side is going to see as suppressing the vote. The other side says, no, no, we're actually putting something in law that helps absentee voters.
0: Yeah, I think where for a lot of this election law, it comes down to how you feel about it. I remember, um, you know, at the beginning of this debate, at the beginning of the year, Um, A lot of Republicans who I spoke with who said they wanted to introduce different voting laws said that um, it was to assuage the the feeling that something was wrong last year. And I think um, looking at how the voting went in November and January um, with the, um, you know, unprecedented, not unprecedented, but, you know, the historic vote uh for democrats for the president and for senate um now seeing those provisions that were put in place like the drop boxes being limited in some ways makes democrats feel as though something is being taken away that um like you said up until last year wasn't offered to them i do um i As a journalist, you know, we are able to see both sides of things. You know, Dropboxes will be available in places where they were not available last year. But I know for me, for example, I voted absentee in the primary and I used the Dropbox and I am a known procrastinator. And so I was walking up to the Dropbox at, um, you know, that was outside of, I think it was a post office uh at six fifty on um on election day and so um i can see where each side gets their argument and how like you said at the top of this everyone is very emotional about it and um it can make it difficult to see things from the other side
1: jim
2: um, look we, we've got a, a kind of a, a, a good situation here on the show this morning uh, and that is we have uh, two lawyers Uh two, 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 two state lawmakers who were also lawyers and if they're not uh, if they're not experts on election law I think in the next year or so they're going to become so uh, one of the things that uh, SB 2020 uh, 202 did was that it is it, it uh, on January five, both Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff won their runoffs. Two Democrats that broke a, a just a a a a two-decade or a, a multi-decade streak for Republicans. And, and and the chief difference I think there was for the first time we had we had runoffs that were nine weeks after the general election instead of just four weeks. Uh, Republicans always have ha- had, had a, an advantage of that, uh, in 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 that they're 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 they they have older voters who don't need to be motivated quite so so much to turn out. Okay, the, the, in two o two, we return to that four week window, and we do that we do that by by in in by allowing uh, milita- military military uh, voters overseas and other expatriates. To vote in a in a, in a in a, uh, in a system that automatically gives you a second choice, it's an, the autom- automatic runoff si- uh, situation. So my question to 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 to, to both uh, B and John here is, can you actually treat one set of voters so differently than the mass of other voters? Uh, is is that something that's going to hold up in court? Because every all other voters will be will be will be forced to turn out again uh, on on say the first Tuesday in December, uh, rather than rather than uh, the, be given a multiple choice ballot, if you will. B.
4: I want to um I do want to respond to something that Senator Kennedy brought up earlier. The idea that this is a coordinated effort by Democrats with our messaging around whether this bill is good for voters or not and the thing that i really think is critical to think about is it was a coordinated campaign on behalf of republicans in every state and with the former president to sow those seeds of doubt early on as it relates to elections so in 2020 we were sitting in committee meetings hearing from people that absentee ballot voting would open the door for voter fraud. Yet no evidence has been produced from that very beginning, before the results of the primary, before the results of the general election. That was the messaging that was coordinated across the board and no evidence to back that messaging up. It was very coordinated in the sense that Republicans felt they needed to sow seeds of doubt as it pertains to the election in case the president lost. And that would lend itself to the challenges that we saw, as well as the insurrection on January 6th. So that is where the coordinated piece goes. And that is why we're seeing every, almost every single state introduce restrictive laws. It's not a coincidence. So I think it's critically important to talk about that piece. And if you look at the bill, Senate Bill 202, It does include some of those efforts, including that conservative group that came to the local election boards, trying to disqualify voters at the last minute in 2021. To me, that's the coordination that's going on. And that led to so many voters believing that there was some sort of fraud or the election wasn't free and fair. And in talking to some of my colleagues at the state house and on the Senate side, Election laws are very complex. It is really hard for anyone to understand unless you're immersed in it. I've done hundreds of hours of voter protection, poll watching, ballot curing. And so that has given me some insight that some of my colleagues don't have around election laws, as well as working with the cab elections boards to make sure that we were properly prepared for November and January 2021, because we weren't in June. A lot of election boards were not prepared to handle a pandemic. And in those conversations... People have asked me, sitting lawmakers have asked me questions like, well, are absentee ballots and mail-in ballots the same thing or are they different? No, they're the same. I mean, that's a lack of understanding. Have you ever cured a ballot before? No, I've never cured a ballot before. Have you ever poll monitored before? No, I've never poll monitored before. In fact, two of my Republican colleagues told me after all of these things that happened, they decided they were going to go poll watch in Fulton County on January 6th. And they said to me. Those were extremely smooth operations. Nothing went wrong. We were very impressed by how Fulton handled the elections. And so I do think that that is important to say, because the understanding of elections is very different for different people in the General Assembly. And so making assertions without understanding exactly how election laws are made and how they impact people is just going to look a lot different for everybody.
1: Uh, John Kennedy, we have to get to a break, but I want to give you an opportunity uh, before we do that to to respond, to to comment on what you're hearing. Um, But let me put it in a context for you. Um, We had essentially three counts of the Georgia vote uh, after November when uh, the former president insisted over and over again that the the election here was a fraud. And... uh, there was no indication whatsoever. The results kept turning out to be just about the same. And and so one of the concerns and maybe underlying all of the questioning about this new law is the simple matter that we don't understand why there was a need to make these dramatic changes when the election, certainly in November, seemed to and, and in January, seemed to unfold uh, in a perfectly reasonable way. Senator? A uh, fair question, Bill, and
3: I guess I would take issue with the question in this regard. I, I don't think these are dramatic changes that have been made. And maybe that's maybe for a, a part later in the show or another discussion. And that's inherently in part of what we're talking about. Um, but I think, Bill, if you would also look at and also to the representative's point about this coordinated effort. Those talking points and the narrative about a rigged election or, or an analysis of problems that followed that really came out of the president's camp. If you think about the leaders of Georgia, you didn't really hear that. You certainly didn't hear the secretary of state saying that. You didn't hear the governor saying that. Now, so I, I think it's a fair point to say you've got two sources of information on that particular issue, and I think they were different narratives. Um, Secondly, just because uh, even if you assume that we had a great election, uh, it doesn't mean that we ought not to look at our laws on an occasional basis to see what sort of improvements we can make. Can we make improvements with regard to security? Can we make improvements with regard to access? And so both of those, I think, are something that we ought to be working uh, on from time to time as uh, society changes, as Georgia grows, as we come up with better ways for, to make it easier for people to vote, but at the same time making sure that we catch those that ought not be legally voting or, or can't legally vote, uh, that those are properly excluded.
1: All right. Let's do this. Thank you for that, Senator. Um, let's do this. Let's take our first break of the show and come back and let's talk uh, uh, very specifically because we're not going to be able to, as I said, uh, go down point by point to everything that's in this law and certainly not going to reach agreement on what the law actually does. So when we come back, let's talk about the news of the of Major League Baseball and some of the corporations that have now condemned the law Maya, on Friday, the uh, Major League Baseball uh, Commissioner, Robert Manfred, issued the following statement regarding the 2021 All-Star Game. He said, over the last week, we've engaged in thoughtful conversations with clubs, former and current players, the Players Association, among others, to listen to their views. I've decided that the best way to demonstrate our values as a sport is by relocating this year's All-Star Game and Major League Baseball uh, draft. Interesting he made no comments about specific aspects of the law that troubled Major League Baseball. Also interestingly, it's MLB is one of the most conservative of the sports organizations out there, so it's interesting they took this action. I want to talk about what they did, but before we do, I want to play Governor Kemp's response. He pulled together, I think relatively hastily, a group of Republicans to stand behind him. Uh, at the Capitol and gave this forceful response to Major League Baseball.
5: Yesterday, Major League Baseball caved to fear and lies from liberal activists. They ignored the facts of our new election integrity law, and they ignored the consequences of their decision on our local community. Georgians and all Americans should know what this decision means. It means cancel culture and partisan activists are coming for your business. They're coming for your game or event in your hometown, and they're coming to cancel everything from sports to how you make a living. They don't care about jobs. They don't care about our communities, and they certainly don't care about access to the ballot box. It's easier to vote in Georgia than it is in New York. Even more ridiculous is that MLB didn't cite a single reason that they disagreed with the bill in their statement.
1: Maya, Major League Baseball acted after President Biden last week uh, said in an interview that he would be perfectly fine if they decided to move uh, the all star game. And what's so fascinating about this is it appears that. Brian Kemp may have been handed an issue that can reunite Republicans who have been so divided over Donald Trump. Maya,
0: I mean, yeah, much of that speech was definitely a, a rallying call for Republicans and conservative uh, residents in Georgia. Um, it it is, you know, I saw the uh, response on Twitter. You know, people were saying, you know, this this just 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 guaranteed um, Brian Kemp will win the governor's race next year, you know, this is the the rallying call that that we needed to to unite Republicans um, as we head into 2022 elections. Um, You know, like you mentioned, it's interesting that uh, Major League Baseball acted in the way that it did. Um, I remember, and Senator Kennedy might remember, um, earlier this year, um, Senator Rules Chairman um, Jeff Mullis went to the well. Um, I don't remember what specifically happened in sports that weekend. I hadn't watched, Uh, but he went on, went to the well and did this. uh, I mean, rant might not be the right word, but he went on about how he didn't like the way politics had seeped into uh, the NFL and the NBA and that in his house, they did not watch the NFL or NBA anymore, but he appreciated the fact that baseball had stayed out of politics and that, you know, Baseball was the only sport he was watching in his house, and so you know to go from that a few months ago to having uh, baseball move the All Star Game, um, I I personally was very surprised uh, by the move. But in in thinking about it, uh, you have to remember last summer when there were all of these rallying calls around. Um, the movement for, for racial and social justice, and like Jim said earlier, many of these uh, the players on these teams are people of color, Black people, Hispanic people, people of color, um, and and their commentary about the need for racial and social justice to come and face uh, this national pressure um, to respond and to do something. Um, it would have looked like everything that they said last year was kind of lip service. So it, it was interesting to, to watch it all play out and then also at the same time give Brian Kemp this issue for conservative voters to rally behind.
1: John Kennedy, the Major League Baseball decision was really a, a, a moment of some high drama in terms of pulling the All-Star game, but it follows Delta Airlines' uh, uh, stepping out and saying they oppose uh, this law, having said nothing uh, before that. Other Georgia corporations uh, uh, now commenting on it. The Coca-Cola Company now commenting on it. Um, it, it. It does seem like Republicans in the state, John Kennedy, are behind the eight ball in terms of the uh, a campaign now. Uh, to condemn Georgia for passing this law. Uh, Bill,
3: unfortunately, I would have to agree um, and that that we are behind the the, the narrative. And I think the reason for that is we were busy for the last three months uh, trying to work on what ultimately became uh, SB202. Um, and, And at the same time, I think there was a very carefully calculated Uh, Design to come up with a narrative that regardless of what the bill we would pass would ultimately be, uh, it was going to be uh, cast as uh, oppressive. And I think you've seen that with regard to how the narrative unfolded, even when we were considering different versions of the bill. And I think we also ought to stop and think this is not just a Georgia issue. While we clearly are under the microscope. I think part of what you're seeing and why you see MLV doing this is there are multiple other state legislatures around the country that are still in session or have yet to go into session, and they too are gonna to be considering election bills. And I think this is part of a narrative to try to, to for those states as well, uh, say, hey, uh, you, know, it, you better not be talking about or changing the laws to try to improve security uh, or even uh, e- even if you're rather vanilla about it, we're going to do things uh, that put your state in peril. And I think, Bill, what has happened here with MLB is just uh, incredibly unfortunate. It's been done without any regard to the effect that will that this will happen, or that this will have on, on businesses. Uh, but I think there's a common thread that you mentioned with regard to MLB's response. You mentioned Delta. Um, and uh, some other organizations and that is if you listen to what they're saying it is completely without any details it's a vague general complaint without specifics of what the real problem is uh, that they in particular may or may not have with the bill and and i think uh when you put that in context with the history of the work that was done to get the bill to where it is and you read the bill and you look at the details uh, you, you see that there's, it's one of those that they don't want to get into uh, a discussion of the specifics. Why MLB made the decision they did is, is, is beyond me. It's very disappointing and it's unfortunate. And, and I think, as you said, uh, even many Democrats have come out and said uh, this is really sad and, and bad for Georgia.
1: Well, well, Jim. And then B. Me. I mean, I think one of the reasons it's pretty clear that MLB made the decision they did is that this has now been uh, 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 framed fairly pretty successfully as a civil and human rights issue, Um, maybe correctly. I mean, again, that's all a matter of how you interpret this law, but you can't very well have an MLB All-Star Game honoring uh, Hank Aaron if you frame the Georgia law as a violation of the civil rights of African Americans who fought for the right to vote in Georgia, for uh, more well over a century.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, there's uh, a couple uh, a couple things to unpack here, Bill. Uh, n- number one, I, I'd agree with Senator Kennedy. I think this was this was this was a move uh, aimed at a at, at a post Georgia audience, uh, at, at the various state legislators, uh, saying that this is you know this is this, you don't you shouldn't go go to this place. Uh, now, and and as far as the as far as the, the lack of detail from from uh, from Koch and from Delta and, and, and specific objections, I think part of that is is because the 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 problem with this legislation uh, is largely in its origin. And r- rather than re- rather than the results, that the origin of this bill was was uh, 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 as, as as Ms. Wynne had uh, as pointed out was the was the uh, the objections raised by uh, Donald Trump after his November third defeat, uh, and and also the other part of this is that look there is a uh, there is a quite a bit of sleight of hand that goes on in the legislature. You had. Multiple bills, I mean dozens of bills introduced this session, and you didn't know which one was going to pass, what provision was going to be in, what provision was going to be out. Uh, when 202 was finally passed, I think at, what, 5.30 one evening uh, uh, just before, uh, 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 earlier this month, you know, it was signed into law, uh, a 98-page bill was signed into law 45 minutes later by the governor. No, it's this is. It wasn't a situation where 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 corporations knew what was going what was going into that bill. It's something that they had to kind of evaluate. Uh, then I would and yeah okay sure.
4: Yeah, I'm on the same page as Jim. It's a 98 page bill that has been changed so many times, and and quite frankly, that so many people have read the bill. I want to say this. Lawmakers who have spoken up a bit about this bill, we have read the bill, so reject the notion that people have not read the bill, as well as many organizations who are on the ground 365 days a a year protecting the right to vote for voters. And the reality is it was signed into law very rapidly behind closed doors with all white men under a picture of a plantation. And I met the woman whose father was a sharecropper on that plantation. And she said to me, my dad brought me back there. He was a sharecropper there, and I can't believe that was the photo that was used for this signing that would affect my right to vote. And so when we talk about how things impact us, it is very clear that black and brown people believed legitimately, because they have had to fight for the right to vote, have had to stand in 11-hour lines, have had their ballots rejected at a higher rate, Um, they believe and understand that this law will disproportionately impact them. And that's the reality for people of color. It is just a different reality. As far as the boycotts go, you know, I personally am not calling for boycotts because, again, we know this is going to impact workers. But I do understand and recognize the importance of corporate responsibility and the way that that has changed over time. And if we think about the civil rights movement, Coca-Cola did have to step in um, to allow that dinner to be held in Atlanta to honor MLK. And when corporations last summer started issuing statements of diversion and, and di- diversity and inclusion um, surrounding the Black Lives Matter movement, we do want to see them put their money where their mouth is. But – putting their money where their mouth is looks differently, I think, for some of us. Instead of boycott and taking events out of Georgia, uh, which we knew would probably happen. We saw that with bills in the past, with RIFRA, for example. If you pass this discriminatory RIFRA bill, businesses are going to pull out. Um, but the reality is what I would like to see is more investment in the state of Georgia. Don't leave us, invest in our infrastructure. Do what you can to make sure that if this law stays in place, there are four lawsuits right now, that voters are still going to be able to access the poll and access them easily.
1: All right. I've got to get to our final break, and I really want to look at a couple of other issues on the show today. But before I do, John Kennedy, I do want to close this conversation, which will continue in the days ahead, obviously with our panels uh, about the election law, with Nate Cohen's uh, piece in the New York Times, Nate, Nate Cohen being one of the great data crunchers in uh, journalism, uh, and he says this: uh, Senator Kennedy, there is essentially no evidence that the vast expansion of no excuse absentee mail voting, in which anyone can apply for a mail absentee uh, ballot, has any discernible had any discernible effect on turnout in 2020, which is what Alan Abramowitz has been saying on our show. Nate Cohen says that turnout has increased by maybe 2 percent with no discernible advantage in the 2020 election uh, for Republicans or Democrats. And uh, he goes on to say that a study at Stanford found that no excuse mail voting might have increased turnout by 0.02 percent in the 2020 election. All of that suggests, Senator, that the storm of controversy created by this law uh, may in fact end up having almost no effect on the 2022 election outcomes. Bill, I think there's <laughs> there's a lot that you put in there,
3: and to unpack it a little bit, I, I, I would agree. It, it sort of calls into question why this this reaction that we've seen with regard to these changes, which are quite frankly very minor, and quite and and also address some of the issues that I think most objective observers realize that we have with absentee ballots. I mean, if if you look at the, the core issue of when one goes to vote in person, there's two things in essence that you have to prove that number one, you are who you say you are. And that number two, you're voting in a way that is not being influenced by or directed by someone else. Both of those are absent Mm -hmm. with an absentee ballot. And so the, the, system we had with regard to um, uh, signature verification was based on an effort to try to make it secure, but it was not a good process. And so what we've gone to is a way that makes it more identifiable and and increases the likelihood that the person who's sending in the ballot is, in fact, that person. Okay.
1: um, We're going to get to a a break. uh, And when we come back, we'll have a little time to talk about a couple other issues We are really down to the wire on today's political rewind, but Jim Galloway, while while all of this about the election law was uh, dominating the headlines, the Supreme Court of the United States made a decision that is of great importance to many in middle and south Georgia. They have ruled in Georgia's favor on the water wars and have said that Georgia can continue to draw water, especially important for farmers in middle and south Georgia, um, despite Florida's uh, uh insistence that it is hurting the oyster production uh, uh oyster farmers down in Apalachicola uh that's an important decision for Georgia.
2: It's it's it's, it's an important decision and a long time co- coming there've been decades of of legal wrangling over this, uh, and and most important, I think it 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 uh, it underlines the fact that Metro Atlanta is only going to grow bigger and bigger and bigger uh, uh, in 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 terms commercially and in terms of political influence.
1: Uh, most importantly, to right now, this decision does in fact give the farmers down your way, John Kennedy, it, it, um, much more uh, uh, relief in terms of how much water they're using for uh, watering their crops. Bill, you're absolutely right, this is a huge decision for Georgia.
3: Um, It will most directly impact a lot of the agricultural community and farmers in my area and in South Georgia. Um, The the, the great concern from how the decision may have turned had it taken a different path was was very concerning to farmers and had the whole Mm -hmm. agricultural community quite frankly on edge. And so we're grateful for the well-reasoned decision. Uh, not just from the court, but it's also consistent with uh, what the mediator or the arbitrator had recommended uh, leading up to this. So it's been a long path. That, quite frankly, Georgia has won pretty much at every step of the way, and hopefully
1: this is the end of it now for us. Uh, B, I want to ask you as we run out of time about uh, what you see as, a, as any of the victories. If you had one, if you had an opportunity to just talk about one thing that you think you were able to accomplish in the legislature, you as um, as members – for, for the good of the state what what would you uh, uh point to would you say it was citizens' arrest uh would you say it was the speaker's last minute uh effort to block the expansion of carry laws in the state of georgia what what's a good thing that came out of this session <laughs> i
4: I certainly think the repeal of citizens' arrest is probably the thing that was most important um that came out of this session. I remember last year jim um we had we headed out of town um, to the mountains and came back early because of the shooting of Rayshard Brooks, and it was, you know, during the height of Black Lives Matter protests over the summer, and you know that continued to carry on. And one of the things that I worked on last year when we came back into session. Um, I sat down with Representative Abstration, Marissa Dodson from Southern Center for Human Rights in Georgia and ACP, and said, how can we get this repealed? Um, And and so I was very grateful to see that happen. And I do think that um, to see the bipartisanship around it, to see Burt Reeves carry it. And he said to me it was probably the single most important thing he's done. And he was very emotional. And he said it took a learning curve for him to understand why it was so important to repeal that law.
1: Um, Maya, the I think I, I mentioned the carry law that would have expanded the rights of people from out of state to carry in Georgia based on their, their own state's uh, laws about concealed weapons. Uh, the Senate wanted that to go through. The Speaker blocked it at uh, the last minute, uh, some would say, because he's trying to appeal to his more moderate Republicans out there in suburban uh, Atlanta.
0: Yeah, I think um, there's you know, one thing that the speaker is very good at it is at protecting his majority in the chamber. He works very hard to do that, and he lets Metro Atlanta Republicans um, carry legislation like citizens' arrests, like hate hate crimes, that bolster their um, support on with more moderate voters. And I definitely think that even with redistricting and what districts might look like next year. Um, he understands that there are still growing numbers of um, Democrats and more moderate voters in Metro Atlanta that might make it more difficult for his Republican members.
1: Last word of the show for you today, Maya. And thank you, by the way, for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you, Maya thank you for on today's me. show. Uh, B. Wynn, we appreciated your being here, Senator John Kennedy. Thank you as well. And Jim Galloway, glad to have you on another Monday on Political Rewind. That's it uh, for us for today. Uh, We'll be back, of course, with a brand new show tomorrow. I hope my audio will be fixed so you don't have to put up with me uh, on this uh, terrible phone line. In the meantime, take care, stay healthy, continue wearing your masks, and find a place to get vaccinated. See y'all tomorrow.